0: Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message.
1: Our Father, your Son demonstrated humility. What we call the triumphal entry was, in fact, a a powerful demonstration of the depths to which you would go to enter our hearts and lives. We ask, O Lord, that you might humbly enter in, even now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the time that Jesus enters Jerusalem, there's all kinds of ferment going on. Those who are in power are just livid. They can't stand it. Not only are people going after Jesus, they're following Jesus. They're hearing about what he's done and, and then they're also have, they also have heard about the raising of Lazarus. People are flooding the the city of Jerusalem, because of the the Passover feast. And they want to see Jesus and they want to see Lazarus. And the leadership, the denominational leadership, whatever we might want to call them, they are just, they realize that their power, their power is being threatened by, by Jesus and who he is. And so they They don't like what they're about to see on that particular day. I think that Darlene may be here. Darlene is here. Okay, good. So let's, let's, Darlene, come on up. And Darlene is a recipient of the Gary Bruton Scholarship. And she's been on our prayer list for a long time. So Darlene, we're so glad you're here.
0: Thank you so much for your patience. I was praying this morning about what the Lord wanted me to speak about. Because, you know, when you think about your testimony, there's just so much. But I think the Lord wants me to talk about grace. (laughs) Um, I was supposed to be here at 10, and I thought service started at 1030. So thank you for your grace and mercy and patience. Um, My journey started four years ago. Well, it started long before that. But Easter weekend, four years ago, April 3rd, 2018, I had encounter with the living God. It culminated in 10 years of alcohol that just started as a glass of wine before bed to take off the edge, and then two glasses of wine, and then three glasses of wine, and then a bottle of wine, but I was still very functional. I did healthcare emergency management and disaster preparedness, and all of that would just race through my head at night. And truly, I had never dealt with some of the traumas from childhood. And one bottle of wine led to two bottles of wine at night on the weekends. And that caused my liver to, uh, to say it had had enough. And yet I was able to go to work and be fully functional. My boss had no idea. But my family was falling apart. My marriage began to crumble. My three children decided that they were just tired of mom messing up Easter and Christmas. Mom, why can't you be sober for holidays? You know, but if you look on the outside, we had the white picket fence and everything looked perfect. You know, we just had the perfect family. But what, what they didn't realize was that when I was, um, when I was in eighth grade, I, I experienced a, a really bad tragedy that, that, um, that I never got counseling for. And so deep down in my heart, I just pushed that down and was really trying to drink that away. So fast forward to 2018, Easter weekend, and I went to a Messianic Jewish um, Seder meal. Have you heard of that before? And one of my friends uh, had invited me and I drove there drunk. By the grace of God, I've never had a DUI, I've never been to prison, I've never been to jail. So in my pride, I thought I didn't have a problem. I thought it was fine. But it was pretty evident that that um, the facade was over, that, that everything was kind of shattering. Everything that I tried to do to control my life was not working anymore. I couldn't, couldn't hold it all together, couldn't control it anymore. And so that Easter weekend, four years ago, my best friend had the bravery to come into my room when I was when I was at my very worst, at the lowest of the low, and she said, what are you doing, darling?" And I said, "Just, just leave me alone and let me die. I felt unloved, uncared for, not valuable, rejected. I said, my husband doesn't love me, my children don't love me, and I just wanna die. And she said, you can do that. You can lay there and die and have a pity party for yourself and feel sorry for yourself. Or you can pick up your mat and walk. And when she said those words, I'd been in church enough to know that there was a man that had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus said, you can pick up your mat and walk. And that moment, that man had a choice to walk by faith, to pick up his mat, to choose a different life, to receive his miracle or lay there and continue to have a pity party for himself and in that moment by the grace of God something clicked in my heart and I did I picked up everything I got an airplane the next morning flew to Florida from um, Columbus Ohio and strangely enough it was the worst thunderstorm I'd ever experienced in my life the windows of my best friend's house were shaking there was a tornado that went through after my plane got off the air. A tornado went through my neighborhood, went through the church that we used to attend by my kids' high school, and almost hit my mother-in-law's house. So it was definitely a spiritual, spiritual battle, because the enemy knew that if he could take me out, that he could take my family out, and many people, even though I felt unloved, uncared for, unwanted, unseen, that... All of these people that really, truly loved me that I had no idea um, would have been impacted. And so I came into April um, 26th of 2018 to St. Matthew's House and um, started to peel back the layers of trauma and pain and hurt that uh, I had experienced and really received true healing. So it was a, a one-year recovery program. And um, I'm so thankful that not only am I just sober, I have, I'm experiencing an abundant life that I never knew possible. Coming out of that, I needed to start over. Um, Unfortunately, my ex-husband, my husband decided that he no longer wanted to continue with the marriage. He's still in his addiction to alcohol. Um, So I had to start over. And rather than returning to the same place, and the same friends and the same um, situation that I was in before. Um, I was able to receive the Gary Bruton Scholarship. And instead of um, getting back into my previous career, I was able to start over as a, as a single woman. And I have um, used it to receive my Florida real estate license. And I just want to thank everybody in this congregation for your support of people like me that um, need a hand up, not a hand out, and have supported the Gary Bruton Scholarship for people like me to start over, to receive the abundant life that that Jesus died for us. And so um, since then, since receiving the Gary Bruton Scholarship in um, 2019, i've been able to this lifestyle has allowed me to go to um, guatemala on a missions trip and uh, share the good news of jesus christ to those people there um, to share how god can break free even cities and towns of people that are stuck in addiction to alcohol Um, i went to south sudan and to uganda in africa i've been able to speak about women empowerment programs to the ladies there that have been just caught and Um, just cycles of poverty and hopelessness, and I've been able to share my experience of hope with them. So your generosity is even going to other continents. So I just want to thank you very much. God bless you.
1: was with us. I, um, Gary and I would have sushi together right over here at Sushi Thai every Wednesday night before Bible study. And more than once he said that St. Matthew's House is a miracle a day ministry. And this is just one of the miracles. Just one. And uh, it, is, it is a great work and we are, Darlene, thank you so much for coming. We so appreciate it and sharing your story. I am glad we don't have those um, mugshots of you. That never happened. We got uh, got mugshots of a lot of the the graduates, but thank you so much. Yes, it is by the grace of God. And um, it is the grace of God that, that enters our lives, even as our Lord entered the city of Jerusalem and made his life available for all flesh. So let me go to the text from the 12th chapter of John. I've already indicated that the city was full of tension because of who Jesus was and because Lazarus was alive. And all these people from all over the place had come to see them. The next day, the the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings, on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many came out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So, yes, the disciples don't know what's going on. Soon before this, James and John talked to Jesus, or they sent their mother to talk to Jesus, to try to get seats of glory that one might sit on his right hand and one on his left. They just didn't get it. They thought it was going to be an exchange of power, the power of the the ruling elite or their power. They still thought in those terms that this is all just about the power of this world as it's exercised again and again and again. We had a question in my Revelation class the other day. Do I think that this is the new world order? And my response was that this is the old world order. This is the way it has always been. What we see going on all over our world is the way it's always been. And the disciples, that's all they knew. So this story is attested in all four Gospels. And so patching some of this all together, Jesus sends two of his disciples out to find the ride into Jerusalem. Now, at the same time, Pilate has come into town with all the the hoopla of the Roman Empire. And likewise, Herod is coming to town from his winter palace. And so they all all come in in these glorious parades. And when, when Jesus sent out two of his disciples, I wonder if the two that he sent out were James and John. Those two that wanted to sit on his right hand and on your left. And when they went... I'm sure they thought they were supposed to go get a convertible Bentley or a Lincoln or something like that, where Jesus can sit on the back and wave to the people. But instead, Jesus said, no, there's a car dealer just outside of town, and they got flags out front, and they got one of those wobbly men that's uh, out there. When we went by there, I saw a 1984 Mustang convertible. Get that. Get a donkey. Don't get a white charging steed. Don't get a brilliant black thoroughbred. Or get a donkey. When Jesus gets on, donkeys are not big. They're not mules. They're not cross between a horse and a donkey. It's a donkey. Jesus gets on, and in all likelihood, his feet are almost dragging on the ground, if not dragging on the ground. And as he goes into Jerusalem, he's bouncing on the back of this donkey, hardly looking dignified and kingly, hardly looking regal and Messiah like. He looks silly. And the people saw this. They saw him coming in. They heard about who Jesus was. And they threw their cloaks on the ground. They threw palm branches on the ground. And they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And praise God. And this is the one. Jesus kept writing. And as he entered the city, the Gospel of Luke says... He was weeping. Weeping for the city. Weeping for the people. Going into the city where he would face his death, realizing that the people didn't get it. Even though he was intentionally fulfilling the the prophecy of Zechariah. And they were even using the, the language of Psalm 118 to welcome him but they didn't get it. But Jesus and faithfulness goes in. And the ruling elite was so angry, so threatened, because what they were facing was a, a truth about the identity of Jesus that they couldn't deal with. The truth is that he was this one who had healed, and not just healed, but he had raised Lazarus. And along with that was his claim to be God. That's why they wanted to kill him. But he wasn't like the other Messiah types, as I said earlier. He wasn't making a declaration, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one you're looking for. He spoke in symbolic terms. And there is no more powerful symbolic lesson than Jesus writing in to Jerusalem on the back of that donkey. And the people still don't get it. They still think he's going to be just like the other governing authorities. I wanna borrow a little bit from two articles that I read this week, and I'm going to change change it up a little bit. One was Elon Musk. He made an interesting statement this week he said, do we want a humorless society that is simply rife with condemnation and hatred? At its heart fill in the blank, oligarchies, you know, those concentrations of power, totalitarians, etc. At its heart that is div- divisive, exclusionary and hateful. It basically gives mean people a shield to be mean and cruel armored in false virtue. That describes the power elite of Jerusalem. Armed with false virtue. They always told the people how well they knew the scriptures and how well they knew all the commentaries on the scriptures and they would tell them what to do. They knew. But here is this Dramatically inconvenient truth of the identity of Jesus. The other is from Jonah Goldberg. He says, the regime becomes brittle. It cannot adjust to change because change is a threat to power. Moreover, change is predicated on the idea that there is some inconvenient truth driving the need to change. Change. And inconvenient truths are dangerous truths, especially to those who wield that truth. So as Jesus comes in, the power elite, those in the temple, those in the fortress of Antonio are are plotting to kill Jesus. They had already plotted to kill Lazarus. But now Lazarus is just sort of dropping off their radar. Now it's all about Jesus. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. So Jesus, nevertheless, proceeds. He goes into the city. And if things weren't bad enough, he goes into the city and proceeds to clear the temple. He knocks over the tables of the money changers. He drives out the animals. He takes the ropes off their necks and plates it into some kind of a whip and knocks knocks down the tables. And and he declares, this is to be a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, he's saying to the, the power elite, this is not about you. It's not about your power. This is about the power of God to bring all flesh to him, to bring all people to their knees before him. As the Apostle Paul later would declare that the hope of the church is that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess. And so Jesus knows that following the entry, following the clearing out of the temple, he knows what's next. And when they come together for dinner on that Thursday night for a Passover meal together, once again, the disciples don't get it. They're eating too much. They're drinking too much. To them, it's just another Passover. They're laughing hard. They're enjoying the celebration. They don't get it. But Jesus does understand. He does get it. Our Lord understands that what is about to unfold, what he is about to endure, was necessary. Was necessary so that his body and life might be broken and spilled out so that all might know of God's love. He becomes the sacrificial lamb. He becomes the scapegoat that is, that is driven out. He understands what he must endure. So Palm Sunday, oddly enough, in that liturgical world out there, is also called Passion Sunday. It is a Sunday in which we celebrate the reality of Christ's entry into Jerusalem. We call it a triumphal entry. And typically we move right from the triumph of Palm Sunday to the triumph of Easter, (laughs) and we skip Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. But that's when the real action takes place. The triumphal entry prefigures the reality of what happens on Thursday and Friday and all that Jesus endures on our behalf. And there is no expectation for what happens on Sunday. It comes as an absolute, utter, complete surprise that took everyone, not just by surprise, but they had no idea what they were seeing, what they had experienced. And so Jesus comes in as the Messiah, as God with us, as the one who would save us. But as Jesus would declare to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, My kingdom is not a kingdom like y'all's kingdom. My kingdom is not one about the acquisition of power and lording over other people. My kingdom is demonstrated by humility, humor, and love. Will you bow with me in prayer? And so, dear Father, we thank you that you are the king that you are. We thank you, O oh Lord, that your reign is established, that you are Lord and king of all. And we anticipate that day when it will all be consummated, when your kingdom is made full and the glory of the Lord covers the earth. But until that time, your kingdom lives and thrives through us, through your people, through transformed hearts that gives rise to transformed lives. And we thank you, O oh Lord, that you have claimed us as your own. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.